from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. You throw a gif on there? Oh, if I throw a gif? Like, that means something. I love bears doing human things. Right. I don't like bears being bears. Right. We're not going to do handwritten notes. God, no. Jesus. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a busy Tuesday. Lots going on around the National Football League. Comings, goings, cuts, uh, trades. So, uh, let's get into it. Trending at two as we start off here. We got a big show on the way. We'll get you updated in a little bit on one of the big local stories with uh, T.J. Altelberger, maybe on his way out to Iowa State. That rumor mill, that rumor has uh, come to fruition. So that's coming up in just a little bit. We'll check in on the entire NFL at about fifteen with Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. Adam Hill is here. What's up, Adam? Not much. How are you doing today? It's a crazy day again. Yesterday we thought it was out of control. Today a little calmer, but still pretty crazy. Well, let's let's recap yesterday before we get into what's going on with the Raiders, who right now have no offensive linemen. Um, <laughs> well, at least uh, the starter. What an, insult, what an insult to Colton Miller. I know. The starters are gone. Colton Miller, young guy, is still there. Uh, first of all, the Patriots were the big story yesterday, and they loaded up a little more towards the end of the day this morning, and that was uh, – with Hunter Henry on board. So how about this haul? We're talking about over $300 million in contracts, which we know in the NFL might be like $50 million. Um, but the Patriots have been super active. They came in with one of the highest amounts to spend. Belichick's come out of the gates, firing left and right. What do you think of what the Patriots have done here on offense? Because they've added at least uh, two receivers. Uh, both guys are certainly deep threats. They've now added two tight ends. Cam Newton is back. I mean, I think it's pretty clear what kind of football Belichick is going to want to play. I mean, is it? I, I, I think it was, too. I think based on yesterday, I was like, okay, that's going to be, it's going to be a team that still wants to run the ball quite a bit um, and, and have that be their identity. But all of a sudden, you're like, okay, we've got two, two wide receivers that are kind of deep threats. Now you've got tight end in Jonu Smith that is – a, a guy that can block that showed last year he can be a really good blocking tight end, but also uh, has the ability to line up wide and, and be a receiving type tight end. Hunter Henry is much more of an inline uh, receiving tight end who's a dynamic weapon. Like they've got, they've got weapons that can do a lot in the passing game, but I think their identity is still as a running team. Like I, I'm not sure exactly what their, what their plan is, but I know they're adding a lot of talent. That's that's where I was going. They're they're going to be a power football team. They've had two tight ends, maybe not the best blockers, but uh, they're going to play a lot of two tight end sets. Uh, we'll see what they do with the mix at running back. Uh, they've got a quarterback who's you know needs to get downhill and run the ball. I don't think that Cam's a, a great thrower either way, but uh, you know they got him some weapons, some more reliable weapons, especially in Nelson Aguilar, who's moving on from the Raiders. Uh, Kendrick Bourne has upside. Um, I think what they've done is is pretty damn good. Uh, I'm impressed. Maybe they paid a little more than they had to on guys, but I don't know the other offers. And here's the thing. We were all sitting during the offseason, and my first reaction on Cam Newton was, well, all right, what are they doing here? Like, does Belichick have any sense of urgency? He's a 1,000 years old. Like, there's only so much time left. I, I think 
They've come out of the gates here, swinging for the fences. Um, I've seen some morons who cover the Patriots and follow the Patriots who are like, oh, there's money and they haven't gotten any superstars. First of all, did you expect Belichick to go out and spend you know, $90 million, $100 million on guys? He's, he's going to piece it together with good players, mid-level guys, and spread the money around. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that that's his his methodology. If you told me, uh, and you know, everybody knew the Patriots had a lot of money to spend, I don't think anybody would have said, "Oh, ton of money. That's two guys that are really going to go all in on." Like, no, no, this is this is the Patriot style of let's collect a whole bunch of talented players. And again, I think I, you know, to reiterate it, they had a bunch of guys opt out that most of them will be back, and now all of a sudden you can add them to the mix as well. So you're adding a lot of a lot of pieces here. Now, I still think that there's a question mark about what exactly the offense is going to be and how explosive it could be, even though they've got those weapons. Um, you know, is, is Sony Michelle the guy? Is, are they going to go out and get another running back? Is that going to be what they do and just run the ball? Or are they going to use these receivers? Because as you said, like Johnny Smith can block. Hunter Henry's not really that, that great of a blocker. They're more receiving threats and they've got receivers now. Uh, is Cam Newton the guy to spread that around? Because they were he was more of a like a power option player last year, and I, I don't think that's going to be their plan. I don't know what their plan is. I just I like that they're collecting a lot of talent, but it's both ways, right? I mean, you said I can't believe they haven't. You know, the, the one reaction is I can't believe they haven't gotten a superstar with all this money. The other reaction from a uh, uh, you know I, I referenced him a lot now, but Pat McAfee like did a video and he's like. The Patriots are back. They're winning it all. Like, okay, settle down. Like, it's not like they're they're a good team. They're a contender. Again, they're going to be better. But I don't think like this is automatically making them like some no. massive favorite. No, because they still don't have the quarterback. And at best, Cam Healthy is probably an upper half of the league quarterback. That's at best. Um, yeah. I just don't think he throws the ball with enough accuracy short. And I don't know that he can really push it down the field with any sort of accuracy. I'll tell you what, the betting markets reacted, though, because – the Pats were 6-1 to one to win the AFC East last week, and uh, now almost every place that has these numbers up uh, is somewhere between the Pats to win the AFC East between 350 and 450. So Bills are still the favorite, and they're a minus as the favorite. I think the Patriots have gotten better. Um, I don't know. I don't think I would have bet them you know, real heavily to get them down to plus 350. I, you, you can bet on that. I'm not doing it. And that's to yeah, win the yeah, I think what we'd have to look at right now is where are the teams right now? Um, because you can speculate on what's going to happen. Like, if the Dolphins do get Deshaun Watson, I think they're the favorite. Uh, so, I mean, would you make that speculative play and say, hey, maybe I do this in case they get him? If the Jets get Deshaun Watson, I don't necessarily think they're the favorite. Uh, but I think that they're definitely a contender. Uh, but as of right now, the Patriots, to me, have kind of made themselves that number two team in the mix. And, you know, let's, you know, let's be honest, last year the Bills overachieved and won a couple of games they should have. They also lost a game they shouldn't have, but uh, they take a step back a little bit and the Patriots win a couple more games and, and they're the one, they're the ones that are in it. So I think you have right. to look at but, them. I mean, you mentioned the Bills. Bills have to take a lot of steps back. Uh, to, get to, to get to the Dolphins, no, but there was a seven-game gap, if I'm correct, a seven-game gap between the Patriots and the Bills. And the Patriots also kind of, you know, packed it in at the end. Uh yeah, yeah for sure. But like you know, there was, you know, I think what four games that the Bills won that came down to one play. Right. Uh, so if you if you go back and you know change two of those and the Patriots win a couple more games, like you're right. I mean it's it's a it was a big gap, but um 
I, I think that if you're the second team in the division, that's the team that you want to look at to bet on, especially if you're getting a value like this. Now, again, I the Bills should be the favorite in the division right now. No question about it. And if you're saying who's going to win, you say the Bills. But if you're going to be making a bet on a division winner, the second best team in the division uh, at you know odds like the Patriots are getting is probably kind of worth playing. All right. Yeah, six game gap, 13 wins, seven wins. Uh, Raiders today, you know, in a lot of ways it's shocking, but in a lot of ways it's not because of what's happening this offseason and everything is about um, cost comfort. Rodney Hudson, did you see this one coming? No. Okay, Rodney Hudson, the center for the Raiders, arguably, I, I would say consistently the last three or four years, their best player, overall their best player. And he was due to, this is when his salary was going to bump up, right, Adam? Um, and the Raiders are getting out from under it. What are they planning on doing here? Is it, there's, there's no chance. Did they try to renegotiate with Hudson, try to stretch it out? I mean, what do you, what have you heard the last you know week or so? I mean, it kind of came from out of nowhere. So, so no, I didn't really hear much about it. And I don't know how much we will hear because Rodney Hudson is like one of the quietest people that, that's ever lived. Uh, he's not one to make noise. He's not one to go out and, and you know publicly trash the organization. I don't think uh, so. I don't know that we'll hear anything necessarily of what happened behind the scenes. Uh, to me, I think you know all of this is speculation at this point because it was so out of the blue and everybody's like trying to scramble to figure out exactly what happened. But to me, Rodney Hudson absolutely did take a step back this year. I don't think there's much question about that. Now his step back was from like clear-cut best center in the league to maybe best center in the league. <laughs> like, right. that's that's not it's like – I'm not saying his play has deteriorated. Um, he's still among the best. But I think if you look at that and say, what's the trajectory for the next couple of years, there's a very good chance that, you know, next season would have been the time to maybe move on from him. Right. And the, the penalty would have been astronomical. And so the, the way that his salary was structured and the way his contract was structured, what this is to me is a move to say – Hey, we'll take the hit now instead of taking a massive hit next year. It's a one point nine million cap hit now, and next year would have been what north of ten million. Yeah, yeah, and right. then that's that's the money. That's the difference between you know dead cap and what it was to you know to get out from under it. So yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of convoluted contract terminology, but but they're going to have to take a hit this year of around two million dollars, as you said, uh, instead of potentially over ten next year, which would have been kind of debilitating to the cap, although next year the cap will go up. Uh, it'll go up even more than the following season. So uh, this to me, it's, it's, it's kind of just looking at the trajectory. I was just looking a minute ago at uh, his, his PFF passing grade, uh, which, you know, over the last you know, six years, uh, it went uh, from 89.9, 89.8, 91.1, 90.8, 91.2, and then last year 70. Oh wow! So, so his pass blocking grade did take a pretty big, you know, drop off last year. Now again, I mean, I mean you could also argue that uh, he there was a little difficulty on both sides. Well, not on one side of him, but on the other side, you know, at left guard, it was like it was freaking revolving yeah. door. I mean, the players around it should have, uh, you know, affected as well. well. We'll get into this more as the show moves along. So, Rodney Hudson is cut. So, hey, all those claims out there by different NFL people that this offseason was going to be freaking crazy. It's coming true, and the Raiders now are looking for upwards of four offensive linemen. I'm sure they have a plan. We can discuss some other centers who you know may be out there, and there are plenty of centers. It's actually a very rich 
center market in free agency. Coming up next, though, we'll get the reaction from one of the experts on the national level. He used to cover the Raiders. Miles Simmons is in with us from Pro Football Talk. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The Chicago Bears got in the Russell Wilson discussion over the last week. They did not refute those rumors. The problem with that is this morning, the Bears have interest in Andy Dalton. Being involved in the Russell Wilson discussions and then settling for Andy Dalton is promising your kids a two-week vacation in Hawaii and settling for a weekend at a state park. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Old news, brother. Old news, Colin Cowherd. That's how quickly things are moving. That was on uh, Colin Cowherd today over on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas. So Dalton is official to the Bears. Doesn't mean the Bears still couldn't be interested in Deshaun Watson, who I think is more available now than ever, Adam, because your guy, to a certain extent, my guy, Tyrod Taylor, has been signed by the Texans. We don't have the terms of the deal. It says worth up to $12.5 million. If you're doing a deal like that and boosting it up to 12 and a half with incentives, you're keeping Deshaun Watson. Let's get the response and reaction from one of the experts at ProFootballTalk.com. It's Miles Simmons, and then we'll get to all the Raiders stuff, Miles. What's going on, buddy? Well, man, you're you're making me sound really good here with experts, as I probably need to clear my throat as I go on the radio. This is just great stuff right now. Oops. I'm uh, I'm mm. actually shocked. I'm actually shocked you have time for us. So let's get some instant reaction on this. Why would the Texans sign Tyrod Taylor for that much money with all those incentives if they're not planning on moving Deshaun Watson? Well, as, as I just keep thinking about this, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia episode where Dennis keeps talking about uh, because of the implication, right? <laughs> like that's I, I just I keep thinking about what this is going to mean now for the Texans. Obviously, they think that they are going to need Tyrod Taylor in some sort of way. Now, Tyrod Taylor on a backup quarterback for twelve and a half million. Uh, as a backup quarterback for $12.5 million, I should say, that's fine. But I, I think it also is, okay, this is just in case you want starter money. You know, So I think that there is certainly now the Texans are implicitly implying that, yeah, we could maybe move Deshaun Watson if we feel like we could. So uh, it looks like it's about $6 million, uh, with about 6.5 in incentives. Uh, that's the deals that you know Jameis Winston and Cam Newton have kind of done as well. Uh, do you think teams around the league right now are looking at this and saying, okay, now it's time to go? Like, now it's time to make this move because the Texans clearly are making a plan just in case? Yeah, I think maybe. I, but, you know, it, it's interesting, Adam, because if you are any number of teams in the league right now, I, I think that you've been monitoring the situation and you've seen that, whether David Culley is talking, you know, out of his foot or not, you know, like they seem to think that either Deshaun is somehow magically going to, I don't know, figure out that he wants to be with the Texans or they're actually going to move him. And I think the interesting thing about um, what happened last week with David Culley and Deshaun Watson and all that was Culley basically went on a podcast said something and then went to uh, a press conference a couple hours later 
But in between there, at some point, somebody was like, hey, man, you can't talk like that because that might drive down the trade value of Deshaun Watson. Now, I, I just I, I don't think that anybody in the league is that, like, dense to think that just because he says he's our quarterback right now, that's all of a sudden going to drop the trade value. Like, any team really, I think, should be willing to part with three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. Like, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. So, I don't know if it really affects anything all that much. So, I mean, are we reading too much into these contracts then? Because I'm just looking now, Andy Dalton's deal with the Bears appears to be $10 million plus uh, three more in possible incentives. And you're like, okay, that sounds like a starter's contract. Like, do we, do we just read too much into what these deals are? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think, like, if you look at Cam Newton's deal, right? If you're only going to if Cam Newton's only going to make that much, and I can't remember precisely what it is, but it's below 12, uh, his a base salary is something like five, six million, right? And it can maybe go up to 12 to 14 if he reaches every single max, uh, every single incentive that is in the contract. To me, just says, like, yeah, Cam Newton, you could be our quarterback, but you're mostly our insurance policy. Something like an Andy Dalton deal where he's signing for under $20 million. Again, Tyrod Taylor signing for under $20 million, right? Like, these guys, I think, when you look at what their contracts are, I don't know if we're reading too much into it. It's more or less we're making sure that we can sort of compete if we have this particular player as our quarterback. It, because I don't think the Patriots want to go into week one with Cam Newton, especially with all the different moves that they're making. It just, to me, wouldn't make that much sense if you get a guy who has trouble throwing. Right? Like, who's going to throw to Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry and, uh, and Aguilar and all these guys? I, is it really Cam Newton? I don't know. I mean, Cam Newton's best attribute is his legs. So, by the same token, Todd Taylor, good quarterback, accurate quarterback, a little bit above average, you know, but obviously not Deshaun Watson, but somebody who you can at least say, yeah, we can probably compete with that, you know, if that's really the way we want to go. He can at least get us to the playoffs. We've seen Tyrod Taylor get somebody to the playoffs before. The Andy Dalton one confuses me, though, because I just – like, is Andy Dalton really better than Mitchell Trubisky? I don't know about all that, man. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're reading too much into the contract or not, but I, I think it's at least – something miles simmons pro football talk joining us there's just so many directions to go of everything that's going on uh you said there uh you know about cam newton potentially being not the week one quarterback with the patriots well i mean what what would be the plan who do you think they could go to it i mean they've invested everywhere at this point except quarterback right well i think that there's there must be some sort of plan for either trade or to draft a quarterback, because I think if you're talking about maybe integrating somebody like a Mac Jones into this offense, a two tight end set, right? Like that is exactly what could be a young quarterback's best friend. And I think that that would be uh, an ideal picture for a young quarterback to walk into where it's all right. We got these two big dudes. You know, that they're going to run precise routes and that they're going to be able to get open. Now, you know, with Kendrick Bourne on the outside, that's another guy who can help you. Aguilar, he, I, you know, he was good for the Raiders, obviously, but I think that, you know, the history of Aguilar is not that he's going to be some sort of elite guy. Um, so 
given all that, I, I just I feel like there has to be something else. I, I've, I've seen reports out of Boston, New England, whatever, that the plan A for the Patriots is to go after Jimmy Garoppolo. That still makes a lot of sense to me. But whether it's somebody else, I just I struggle with thinking that the Patriots are going to really go into the season with Cam Newton as their top QB option because I just don't see them trying to run it back with somebody who didn't look like he could be that effective of a passer on a 16- or 17-game basis. Miles Simmons on Cofield and Company for Pro Football Talk. All right, what are the Raiders doing? Come on now. What, what's going on here? Rodney Hudson is released. Right now they've got a you know a bunch of uh, backup offensive linemen and Colton Miller. What What's the grand plan here? That's a great question, man. And it's interesting because you know, I saw Vic Kafer of The Athletic make this point that the Raiders have not really been winning with all that money invested on the offensive line. So why not go a little bit younger, maybe a little bit cheaper? And it's interesting that they are really just going with the blow-it-up approach. And I mean, they've got guys like Andre James, who was good um, in 2019 when I covered the team, and so they might have a little bit of confidence in him. But I think when you have to replace that many starters along your offensive line, I'm Derek Carr. I'm kind of like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's always been good to keep me upright, and I've been clean and all that for the most part, but it's a little... Uh, sketchy, you know, when you're the quarterback and you're seeing all of these pieces that you've come to know and expect. And, I mean, Trent Brown, yes, you can say he wasn't that available for the Raiders. But, look, I think Rodney Hudson, when you get rid of him, that's a big, big deal because he really is one of the best centers in the league. And I think for Derek Carr, that's somebody who just makes him inherently more comfortable because of all the protection calls that Rodney Hudson can make. I I doubt there were very many – uh, incorrect protection calls with Rodney Hudson up there as a center. So Carr should be able to handle that. He's a veteran quarterback. I think he's entering, what, his eighth year now. He should be able to handle that pretty well. But at the same time, you, when that battery between center and quarterback is extremely important. A big signing yesterday, or at least news out that the signing is coming on Yannick Ngakwe. We had a couple of football guys on. Ben Lieber, who played in the NFL, and Eric Eager, who uh, grades the NFL, played college football. But from PFF.com, and both were like, eh, solid get, but maybe not a complete player. Well, here's what I always say about free agency. If you are, with probably the exception of offensive line, if you're looking for a guy to come up and be an elite player, you're probably barking up the wrong tree because most of the time those guys don't get to the market. I mean, Ngakwe's played, what, I think, four different teams now over the last, year or two, basically, between the Ravens, the Jaguars, um, the Vikings, and now the Raiders. So when you're thinking about it that way, it's like, all right, there's he can't be that elite of a talent because if he were, then players wouldn't let – teams wouldn't just let him go. So I think that Ngakwe can be a good pass rusher, but I think he would be better if he were opposite of somebody who was elite. Uh, there's got to be somebody on the opposite side of him that at least matches him and maybe makes him a little bit better. Um, so do the Raiders have that right now? I don't know. I mean, I think that pairing him in third down situations opposite Max Crosby could maybe work out because obviously you need somebody to help Max Crosby too because having just him and whoever else, it's not, 
been good enough for the, pa- the, the excuse me, the Raiders' pass rush. So, look, I, I think Cleveland Furl, obviously, when you pick him at number four overall, you expect a little bit more production out of that spot. And so they could move Furl inside in those third down, those passing situations, um, and maybe that would help a little bit. But I, I also just think that the Raiders have to do something more. And maybe it's scheme, I don't know. If there's one thing to be encouraged by, it would be the fact that Ngakwe played with Gus Bradley. So Gus Bradley knows him from their shared time in Jacksonville and can probably help maximize uh, the skill set that he's got. I think there's been like 11 signings since we've been doing this interview, Miles, so this is crazy. Uh, Jacoby Brissett to the Dolphins. The Dolphins lost Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, they already knew they were getting rid of him, but Ryan Fitzpatrick goes to the football team. How much better does that make them? They won the division last year with a terrible record, obviously. Can they repeat with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center? The thing about Ryan Fitzpatrick is that Fitz magic almost always and inevitably turns into Fitz tragic at some point. Now, I think the way that the Dolphins used him last year was probably his most ideal role because he comes in as basically that release pitcher. And obviously, you see in Las Vegas what he did with the Dolphins and getting them to that miracle victory over uh, the Raiders and, you know, the most disgusting victory, whatever John Gruden called it that he's ever seen. So, look, I think that Fitzmagic is, or Fitzpatrick, I shouldn't call him Fitzmagic, is obviously an upgrade over Taylor Heineke just from the standpoint of experience. He can read defenses better than Heineke. He's got, you know, a nice arm that can do whatever it needs to do. But at the same time, I think if you're relying on Ryan Fitzpatrick to get you to the postseason, you might end up disappointed. So I think that the Washington would it would behoove Washington to take a look at drafting a QB because you need somebody for the future. Um, I think that yeah, they're in the lowly NFC East, and you know depending on what happens with the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, how healthy he is going into 2021, Washington could certainly win that division again. But let's not act like Washington was that great. You know, when you go to the playoffs with a seven and nine record, I guess that's nothing to write home about. Get up to profootballtalk.com right now and you can read uh, Miles' story on uh, Richard Sherman and uh, which teams he's interested in. And maybe the Saints are stepping up to try to make a run at Richard Sherman. Miles, we appreciate it. Of course, guys. Talking next week. There he is, Miles Simmons. I think he was disappointed we were so short today, but uh, things are crazy. Things are crazy. We'll get you updated on the uh, TJ Otzelberger situation and an early look at our eye on sports betting is uh, Sammy P from Nesson will be in in about 15 minutes. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. NFL free agency opening up officially tomorrow. That's not keeping teams from uh, going crazy the last couple of days. Patriots, a big player yesterday. Story of the day today, Adam. Raiders cutting Rodney Hudson. That's a big one. We'll continue to break that down. Also, Quarterbacks slash backup quarterbacks coming off the board. Some receivers also coming off the board. Marvin Jones, the uh, former Lions receiver. News out in the last 15 minutes. He's going to be going to the Dolphins. And we just talked to Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, and a couple things came out of that conversation. Uh, One on Ngakwe. He's the third guy we've had on, on the Raiders signing Ngakwe. And he was like, eh. Uh, maybe maybe not a full-time player and certainly needs help on the other side of the line. He has to be a kind of a dual threat with the edge rush combination. 
Are you surprised that so many people have come in and said that? No, that's, that's kind of what we talked about as well. But at the same time, Miles made the same point uh, that I did and that I believe in is that this is Gus Bradley's call. And, you know, Gus Bradley was tasked with fixing the defense. And it seems like one of his first, you know, calls was, hey, let's go get Ngakwe. And that's a guy he's worked with, he's been with, he was there for uh, for his draft. Uh, he's been around him, and, and he understands what kind of player he's getting and, and that he fits the system. So um, I think that there sure is is questions about his ability to be a three-down guy. I don't know if that's going to be the role he even plays. Uh, but I think that Gus Bradley believes that he's going to thrive in the system. And he has thrived in it before. We have no idea what Bradley's going to do with Clee Furl. I still feel like he's going to spend most of his time coming up inside, not outside. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe first and second down, more of a, you know, set the edge type, uh, you know, defensive end. And then uh, on a third down, third down situations and obvious passing situations. And, you know, we say these, these terms at first, first down and second down, and then third down passing situations, passing situations in the NFL are far more than just on third down, obviously. Um, and passing, you know, passing situations, I think you'd have, and Gakwe outside uh, with Furl inside and then Max Crosby on the other end. Uh, I think that would be kind of the the goal. That'd be the alignment. Uh, but, you know, I think that they're going to use him in, in many different ways. And I think Furl has shown to be a very good player that is not a not an elite rusher. And so, you know, I think that they have to find different ways to use him and have him on the field without having the pressure of, you know, just being a go-get-the-quarterback guy because that's not what he does well. Uh, news locally, aside from what's going on with our NFL team, I think a lot of people are probably shocked that someone's making a run at TJ Otzelberger, feeling like, hey, he's just getting you know his feet under him with this job. But Iowa State is now open. That happened yesterday. Steve Prom was fired. You guys have a story in the paper today saying Otz is the favorite for the job. Yeah, and it was it was based. I guess I, I'll say it's, it's my story. Um, I, I think it's it's based on you know what's going on in. Uh, you know, in at or excuse me, at Iowa State, uh, their athletic director uh, is a very, very close friend. Jamie Pollard is a very close friend of T.J. Otzelberger. In fact, he used to go to games at South Dakota State to watch his friend T.J. Otzelberger play, despite being the the athletic director at Iowa State. Uh, T.J. Otzelberger is very, very well respected, not only on campus at Iowa State, but also in the community. Um, his wife, Allison, was a star basketball player at Iowa State. They're very tied in uh, to that community, that school, uh, that campus, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, this is this is something that you know we have been trying to prepare you guys for. Uh, you guys should know, fans out there, that this is going to be I, a possibility. Adam and I started talking about this back on February fifteenth, and most people who responded were like, "It's bullcrap. That's his message board stuff." I'm telling you, we both made calls, we both had sources that he was going to be in the top three. Is he going to get the job? I don't know. But anyone out there who thought he wasn't going to be in the running for a guy who at the time was like, you know, for a job uh, replacing a guy who was like 2-17, and 17, there's too many connections. He may not get the job. He may turn them down. I, I don't know. But it was a realistic possibility in mid-February. Yeah, and, and let me just read you this quote from the Des Moines Register. Again, this is not people in Las Vegas speculating. This is not anything else. This is a quote from the Des Moines Register, uh, the paper that covers the team. Uh, it says, the perspective of most interested observers of this search is that it will likely start and potentially end with Otzelberger. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. I get money, I get money. 
It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, let's get you the latest on what's going on with NCAA tournament betting. Our guy that we lean on on Tuesdays, Gambling Insider, Sam Paniotovich from Nesson and FS1. Sam, it was really fascinating watching the boards move a lot on Sunday right after the brackets came out. Oh, man, it was the Wild West, and I'm watching the screen. And this year, you know, hat tip to Circa. They were first this year. South Point was first the last couple years, but Circa was the one that put the numbers up first. And, you know, I was high on Winthrop, and I've talked about them everywhere I could all last week. And, you know, Winthrop goes on the board at Circa seven and a half, catches seven and a half against Villanova. And I'm talking about we, we must have hit that within 35 seconds. We knew we wanted to bet it. We got it. Had some buddies in Vegas do it. And that thing went from seven and a half to six and a half in an eyelash. You know, it, it went, you know, and, and that's that's a true testament to the respect Circa has for some of the people. You know, they're letting really the sharp betters shape the market. Like, okay, they're going to lose some money potentially on seven and a half and maybe seven. But they know when they see sharp action come in at seven and a half, like, hey, we should probably move this to six and a half. And this happened in a couple games. I mean, the craziest move I saw within 10 minutes of post was the total in Arkansas and Colgate. Um, <laughs> that You laugh, but, man, yeah. that total went from 157 at Circa on the open. It touched 163 within, I don't know, 45 minutes. And then you know what happened then? People came under 163. Like, I know a guy who's got over 157 and under 163. Sure. He's got a point middle there. Yeah. And, you know, some guys do that for a living, and they make good money on that. But Circa was taking big bets. They were moving the spreads, moving the markets. And then, of course, you know, South Point, Westgate, you know, a lot of those books weren't too far behind. It was the FanDuel and the DraftKings that they sort of let everybody settle the number. And then they're like, oh, here's our spread. <laughs> they just they just copied the screen. But, you know, give credit to the Vegas books. They were before the offshore books. They were taking bets. And uh, the market was certainly shaped on Sunday night. Sharps took uh, a position on certain teams. And, by the way, you can find a lot of this stuff up on uh, Nesson com where Sam has a really good write-up. Uh, you were saying pros took positions on Virginia, Colorado, San Diego State, and Oregon. Yeah, they shorted them. Now, again, like I wrote a column about how to use numbers to fill out your bracket, and, and you know, that's sort of a tip on, all right, where's the wise money coming in? Yeah, I mean, they, they took the points with Syracuse against San Diego State. You know, they took the points with VCU uh, against Oregon. Uh, we mentioned Winthrop against Villanova. Um, the, the biggest mover on the side market, I believe, so far is the uh, Ohio side. They're taking on Virginia, and obviously Virginia lost as a number one seed a few years back, so I think that doesn't help their case. But Ohio opened up plus 10.5, and, and that number is now 7.5. And, and, you know, people will go, do you still like it? No, <laughs> don't still like it. Because if they lose by 8, 9 now, you're going to lose, and the guys who took 10, 10 and a half are going to win. So I do think there's some buyback here. I think eventually you'll see some people lay 7 and a half or 8 with Virginia. But, yeah, I mean, those teams were all bet against. And, you know, I think we, we've buried the lead on this. Our boys, as a 10 seed, Rutgers, <laughs> they're favored over Clemson. Yeah, what do you think? I like Rutgers. You know I like Rutgers. I've been talking about them since December. Um, the under more in the game. Oh, man. Like, those are two of the slowest tempo teams in the country. Uh, you can still get 126 and a half on that total. I think this, this is going to be the first to 60, buddy. I think this is 62 to 58 either way. I'm rooting for Rutgers. I like the under more. But if Rutgers gets, uh, gets through that first game, 
they're going to give Houston a hell of a lot of trouble. Yeah, uh, someone asked me earlier, you know, away from uh, the interviews, they're asking for a pick on the game, and I was like, uh, it could be 49-45 for the total because uh, Rutgers is a slow starter. They've been horrendous at the beginning of games, and as long as they don't get boat raced, then the game could be played at a really slow pace. So give me some of your picks, Sam. Sam Peniotovich is with us. Give me some of the other games that you were on uh, very early you're fired up about. I'm on Patino. I, I took 17 with Iona. I, I don't care. I mean, that guy, he knows how to get his teams ready, and he knows what it's like to coach in the tournament. Like, they don't have to win. They just can't lose by 18 or more. <laughs> you know? And there's a good chance when you watch this game, you know, there's a solid chance that at one point Iona's down 35 to 15. Just deep breath. Woosa. Just, just let it play out. I took 17 with Iona. We mentioned uh, Winthrop already took seven. Like Rutgers and Clemson under 126 and a half. And then uh, I've got to play in the uh, first four. I like Drake plus one and a half. That number's gone, unfortunately. I still, it's like a pick em right now. I still think they win the game. But uh, the most bullish I am in the entire first round, I'm going to fight the world on this one. Everybody's on North Carolina against Wisconsin. Like the Sharps, the public, like, you know, it's Roy Williams, it's more talent, more NBA players on the court. Wisconsin was the fifth best team in the best conference. And they sort of like, people are like, oh, they're not that good. No, the Big Ten is just great. And they're a really good team and a great conference. And they don't turn the ball over. They don't beat themselves. Like, you know, like they just took Iowa down to the wire. Iowa's a great basketball team. Like, we don't give Wisconsin enough credit because they're not one of the better teams in their conference, but they're still a loaded team in a good conference or, a, you know, a good team in a loaded conference rather. So uh, I like one and a half or two points with the Badgers. It won't be pretty, but that's a plug and play for sure. Oh, we're sharing a brand because Wisconsin was one of the first games I bet plus one and a half. And uh, I agree with you. Carolina has built so much on its size because they've got five guys who are, you know, 6'8", 240 and bigger. Wisconsin's got plenty of size, so they're not going to outsize Wisconsin. And the other thing is Wisconsin's bigs can go to the perimeter and stretch the floor and force – the North Carolina bigs to play defense on the perimeter. They're outside, or their uh, bigs can actually shoot from the outside. Cofield, North Carolina can't even shoot the basketball. <laughs> they're uh, they're they, they 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 play bully ball. Uh, the problem is, like I said, Wisconsin can also play that style, but they'll you know rain threes in your face. Uh, how do you approach the tournament overall, Sam? Sam Peniovich is with us here. A little early. Our eye on sports betting on Cofield and Company. Um, I saw you mention, uh, or at least some of your experts are saying, easy bracket for Gonzaga, but my God, you can bet Gonzaga to win the West. This is kind of a big number as a favorite. Minus 230. Yeah, 250 at the Westgate, oh. too. So you got to lay 250 to win 100 on Gonzaga winning the region. I still think that's a very friendly draw for them. I mean, the 2-3-4 aren't that strong, and they've also beaten the 2-3-4. They beat Iowa, they beat Kansas, and they beat Virginia already this season, in the regular season. So that was sort of strange. But, um, I, I look, I wouldn't be telling you to lay Gonzaga to go to the regional final. I think if you're looking, look at the bottom of that bracket. Like, a lot of these books have, you know, the regional markets now. Iowa, you can find at like 450 to win the region. And Kentucky, or not Kentucky, rather, Kansas, you can find at 7 to 1. If Kansas beats Iowa and you're looking at Gonzaga, Kansas, I have 7 to 1 in my back pocket on Kansas. I, can, I can't lose in the Elite Eight. Like, I could even wait for a, a chance to take Gonzaga live, or I can lay that money line. I don't know how high that spread would be. I'm guessing it'd probably be around, I don't know, 7.5 or 8, maybe. 
Uh, you can't give Kansas 10 points. I don't care who you are. So you can put yourself in a position to succeed by making the proper pre-flop bet. And, you know, a team like Kansas to win the West, are they going to win it? Probably not. But at 7-1, to one, if they get to the Elite Eight, you really can't lose. Let's uh, close out with a little NFL. Sam Paniotovich is with us from Nesson and uh, FS1. You can listen to his podcast, Chicken Dinner. He's up on Twitter at SP Shoot. Patriots spend like $300 million the last day and a half on free agents. At least they get the commitments for free agents. So now they're the betters are hot and heavy on the Pats for the AFC East. Has the number just dropped too much? Uh, it's a good question. But I, at the end of the day, I'm still not that high on Buffalo. Buffalo minus 170 to win the AFC East. I I know Adam Hill doesn't like Josh Allen. I, I like him. I just I think I think he's one bootleg away from from you know lights out. And I hate to say that because I don't want to see that, but that's a quarterback that is prone to injury the older that he gets. I mean, he's not, you know, when he was 18, 19, 20 years old, he's got rubber band for muscles, you know. Like now it's just like I I don't know. Like I, I I'm worried about that always with mobile quarterbacks to love to turn it up. But, yeah, the Patriots were 6-1 to one in the AFC East last Thursday. And some of these books, plus 350, plus 375, plus 400. So the odds have been slashed. Now, they're still third on the pecking order. It's Buffalo 1, Miami 2, New England 3. As I say that out loud, it still doesn't sound right, does it? Right. What's the general reaction, general sports talk and sports host reaction to one Cam Newton being brought back and did some of that negativity all calm down if it was negative all calm down with all these signings are people fired up even though they may not know all the names they're fired up for sure and they keep saying like Belichick is going to do whatever it takes to win Robert Kraft is ready to write blank checks it's like okay I understand all that but I I still don't like the quarterback position Um, you know if they want to win and maximize their window they need to make a trade and I know they just signed Cam to a one-year deal you can trade that guy so the talk in town is still that they're going to go out and they're going to potentially look at Jimmy Garoppolo or, in the, you know, the elephant in the room is Deshaun Watson. You know, if Bill Belichick wants to win right now, is he willing to trade three first-round picks plus Cam Newton to Houston? Like, I, I don't even know that that gets it done, but uh, they have the team right now. They just need the quarterback, and you need a quarterback to make that leap. But uh, in this division, with all the things that they've added – uh, they can win 10 games, 11 games. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't like them to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to get crazy. But if they get a quarterback, they'll be dangerous. I know you're slammed, buddy. So I appreciate a couple minutes for us uh, out here in Vegas. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Good job there by Sam Paniotovich. We're about 20 minutes away from getting into the legal side of things. ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins will be with us. And we'll also touch on some of the big football moves, especially when it comes to fantasy football. Justin loves fantasy. Who is going to draft Ryan Fitzpatrick now that he's with the football team? More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios.